He is more than enough, isn't he? And I hope you have found that to be true. As we have been looking at this series called The Lamb of God and seeing how he did provide. He provided a way when there was no way. He provided for us when we couldn't provide a way for ourselves. And he's always been more than enough. We began by looking at sin coming into the world when Adam and Eve sinned while they were in the Garden of Eden. They thought they could take care of the shame and the guilt they felt from their sins by just sewing fig leaves together and making a covering. But they found out that wouldn't do it. That wasn't the provision that would atone for their sin. It had to be done God's way. And so for the first time, death entered the world as an animal was slain, bloodshed, so that he could make a covering for them out of skins, a covering that the Lord provided, not one they could provide for themselves. We looked at Abraham last week in the story of God calling him to sacrifice his son Isaac and how hard that was and the anguish that he felt being asked to do something that didn't make any sense. But he obeyed, even though he didn't understand it. And as he was ready to do what the Lord told him to do, the Lord was his provider. A ram was in the thicket, and he was able to sacrifice the lamb instead of his son. Because to atone for sin, it could not be the sacrifice of a sinful man. And that is pictured in the sacrifice of Isaac. Even though Abraham was willing to do it, Isaac could not atone for the sins of the nation, the sins of the world, because he himself was not perfect. And so a substitute again was provided, this time the substitute of that lamb. And today we go on continuing looking at how the Lord has provided a substitute for sin for each and every one of us but always on God's terms and always God's way. As we move today to the story of not only how God has redeemed people individually, but how he redeemed a nation by the blood of the Lamb. It's a story that starts in the book of Exodus. When the children of Israel have grown into a mighty nation. They came into Egypt when Joseph went ahead through a series of events that God had orchestrated to save them from a famine. And while they were there in Egypt, they stayed after the death of Joseph and all of the people of that generation, and they began to grow. They began to multiply and eventually became a very sizable size of a nation. But it says a new pharaoh, a new dynasty came to the throne. And this new dynasty didn't understand the children of Israel, what they had done for Egypt, and wanted them out of the way. So they made slaves of them because they were afraid that they were getting too many, too mighty. They might do something to overthrow the government of Egypt. And so as they were slaves, put to the task, they began to cry out to God. They began to cry out to God for their freedom, to end their slavery, But there was nothing they could do about it themselves. They weren't strong enough to overcome the forces of Egypt. And so as slaves, they simply had to do what they were told to do. But God eventually rose up a deliverer in the form of Moses. 
And he sent Moses to the children of Israel with that message to Pharaoh to let his people go because they were going to worship and sacrifice to their Lord on God's terms. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. He would not let the people go. And so God miraculously began to show Pharaoh and those of Egypt the kind of God he was. A series of plagues came to the nation. And no matter what they tried to do, they could not stop the God that Moses and the children of Israel served. And one thing after another happened. And every time something bad happened, Pharaoh would promise, now I'll let them go, now I'll let them go. But the minute God turned the, around and the plague would stop, they, he changed his mind. He said, I'm not going to let the people go. Until finally on the 10th plague, God said, tonight it will be enough. This time I'm going to judge Egypt. And I'm going to judge them in the way that they are going to want you to go. But he said, before that happens, you have to be ready. And he gave Moses instructions to pass on to the people about how to get ready for what God was going to do because he was going to deliver them in a moment from the shackles of slavery and take them to a new place. When he said, tonight, a death angel is going to go through the land. He's going to claim the firstborn in every single household in Egypt. Both cattle and people. No one is going to be spared. From Pharaoh's house all the way down to the poorest person, the firstborn is going to be taken. But he said to Israel, in order to be safe, I need you to do something. I want you to take a lamb or goat. One that's big enough to feed your family. Don't take one that's too much, you don't need anything left over. Don't take one that's too small, you need to feed everybody. But you're to sacrifice that lamb. Keep it for a week, and then on the day I tell you, all of Israel is going to sacrifice the lamb at the same time. And you're going to take the blood that comes out of that lamb, and you're going to put it around the doorposts of your house, up the sides and over the top. Because that is the blood that I'm looking for to keep the death angel from covering. He says, eat that lamb, eat the meat, dressed and ready to go. Because the minute the death angel comes, you're going to leave. Because you're going to be protected by the blood of the lamb. Exodus 12, verse 12. This is what Moses said to the people. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. And strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. See, God had had enough of Egypt. Egypt was ready to be judged. They had been given every opportunity to know the power of the God of Israel and to come to terms with who was the true and living God. But they kept hardening their hearts. They kept refusing to bow down and worship. And so the time for their deliverance was over. Now it was time for judgment. And when the judgment of God came and took the firstborn, 
They were going to understand the power of God. But Israel was going to find shelter. It said, stay in your house. Stay in the house that has the blood over the door. Because the blood is going to be your shelter if you stay under the cover and the protection of the blood. And sure enough, when the death angel came through, it took the firstborn of everyone in Egypt who wasn't covered by the blood. But the firstborn of every household that had the blood on the door was set free. No one died. And they were ready to march out. Free freedom at last from the slavery that they had. And even the Egyptians were glad to see him go. It says they gave him money, they gave him gold, they gave him silver. They gave him anything to get rid of them. Because they wanted him out. They understood the God they served was no match for their gods. And now they were headed to a new place. They were headed to the promised land. Egypt was not their home. That was not where they were going to stay. You see, they had not been set free to stay there. They had been set free to go. And so they headed out. They got to the Red Sea. They lost a little faith, but God miraculously took them through the Red Sea. And once that happened, the way back to Egypt was closed. They could never go back to Egypt again. And there in the wilderness, set free by the blood of the Lamb, God began to mold them into the people he wanted them to be. They got to Mount Sinai and they made a covenant with God that they would be his people and he would be their God. Moses went up on the mountain in order to get all of the law to understand exactly what it was that God wanted them all to do, how they were to live, how they were to act, what their laws would be. And while he's up there having this fantastic meeting with God, understanding what God is going to do with these people, he took too long. You know, when you get in the presence of God, I guess you just lose time. You lose track of time. And he's up there enjoying himself, but the people are down at the bottom of the mountain going, where did he go? And they waited and waited, and he didn't seem to come back. And so finally, they got real impatient. These are the people that had been delivered by the blood of the lamb in a miraculous way from slavery that they could never have delivered themselves from. They walked through the Red Sea by the mighty power of God, and saw the armies of Pharaoh destroyed in an instant. When they didn't have anything to drink or eat, they saw God miraculously supply their needs. But they got impatient when Moses took too long. And so they began to fuss among themselves and talk among themselves and say, what are we going to do now? Moses, he's up there, he probably died up there. What if he tripped over a rock and he broke his leg and nobody knows where he is and he's going to lay there? we got to do something. And they made the golden calf. They said, this is the God that delivered us. You know, it's amazing that you've got that kind of hubris to say, after God has delivered you, this calf has delivered you. That calf didn't come with him. That wasn't even there. But suddenly that's what they wanted to see. That's what they wanted to put their faith in. And while Moses was up on that mountain, God said to him, you need to go back down. 
The people are, are beginning to stir, and you've got to go and stop them. In fact, God said to Moses, you know what I'm about to do? I'm just going to destroy every one of them. Because after all I've done for them, they don't seem to care at all. So judgment's going to come to them. I'm going to destroy each and every one of them. And Moses, I'm going to raise up a whole new group of people from you. And there'll be people that this time appreciate me. But Moses' attitude was not, oh, good. I don't like those people anyway. They didn't like me. They've been nothing but trouble. So let's go. All my kids, you know, we'll raise up a great family. No, Moses took the opposite approach. He said, Lord, Lord, don't do that. What will people say? What will the nations around us say? If the God that delivered Israel from Egypt suddenly wipes them out. God, they'll say that you, you never did want to really deliver them. You never really did want them as your people. Yet you, don't do that. And he interceded and he prayed for them. And he interceded that the Lord's wrath and his anger would be stilled. But when Moses gets down there and sees what's going on, he's carrying the commandments in his hands. God wrote the, what we call the Ten Commandments out on tablets of stone, and he's carrying the very ones that God himself has inscribed. And when he gets down at the bottom of the mountain, he sees these people are basically breaking every single one of them that he's holding in his hands. They got carried away. They were beginning to sin. I don't think there was one they didn't break. And he takes the tablets and he throws them at them, breaks them. And then he makes a great declaration. Who's on the Lord's side? The Levites answered the call. And he has the Levites kill everyone that's the leader there and everyone that is opposed to what God is doing and, and made the golden calf. And then he breaks down the golden calf, puts it into powder, and makes them all drink it, and the plague comes. But then the next day, as he's going back up the mountain, because he has to finish getting the law now, he begins to talk to the Lord, this time not to just intercede, but he wants the Lord to truly forgive these people. And he knows that the only way they can truly be forgiven if somehow an atonement is made for their sin. So in Exodus 32, verse 30, he asked the Lord this. It says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and the angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. This great leader Moses asked to be killed in place of the people. He said, Lord, blot my name out. Take my life. If that would mean that these people could be forgiven for their sins. But Moses would find out the same thing Abraham found out. A man could not die to atone for the sins of the people. 
because Moses was a sinful man as well. Even though he was called by God and he was a magnificent leader and and did what the Lord had told him to do, he was still a sinful man. And so giving his life as a ransom for the people was not going to work even any more than Isaac's life was going to work. Somebody else had to die. But as Moses went up on the mountain and God gave him the law, he was given a way for the people to be connected to God through a system of sacrifice that would allow them always to be God's people. The law was given to them on how to sacrifice. This is the part of the law that you start to read if you're starting to read through the Bible where you usually get stuck. Now, if you've ever been good about, oh, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, you start off in Genesis, and that's an easy book to read. All those stories of Genesis, we like that. And you, you get through about half of Exodus, and you're reading some great stories as well. And, and then about the middle of Exodus and on into Leviticus, you, you start to stall. Because all of a sudden, there's not stories there. There's all these rules and regulations about sacrifice and what to do and what not to do and what kind of animals to use for what kind of problem. And after a while, you're just like, okay, uh, let's skip over that part and let's move to the next one. But there was a purpose there. See, the Lord said, the life is in the blood. And when the blood is shed, that makes it possible for us to have some kind of relationship, even though the blood of the animals could not take away their sin. And so all kinds of sacrifice was then established for the people. They had sacrifices for sin offerings. They had sacrifices called burnt offerings. They even had grain offerings. Not everything was an animal. But they had all kinds of sacrifices for different purposes. And these sacrifices were continual. They were offered all the time. I used to read that and think, man, what would it have been like to be back then and see that many animals killed for sacrifice all the time? You know, you you read like when they dedicated the temple under, under Solomon, the thousands of animals that they killed that one day. And and for me, that's like, man, that place had to smell. You can just see flies all over the place, can't you? And just kind of dirty. And you're like, good heavens, who'd want to be under that kind of system? And now here they are in the wilderness and and they are making a tabernacle as well. And they're, you know, they're sacrificing all the time. And throughout their history, every day, every night, you know, there's a sacrifice for something. And you're thinking, man. That's just got to be too much after a while. All that blood all over everything and the smell of everything. And for us, we're looking at it and and seeing death. Somebody always has to die. The kind of death that comes. Even today when you talk about blood and, you know, we don't mostly kill animals much anymore. We go to the supermarket now and everything's packaged really nice. In fact, if you went to the farm and actually, you know, wanted to watch them kill the cow, most of us would probably not even want to be there because we wouldn't know what to do with that, especially if they wanted us to kill the cow. You know, we'd be, oh, no, too much blood there. For us, it speaks of death. For us, it speaks of problems. But you know, when the Bible talks about sacrifice to God, God doesn't look at it that way. 
He doesn't see the sacrifice of blood as, as something icky and, and dirty and, and smelly. It says when he looks at it, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to him. It's a good thing to God. Because when people are willing to sacrifice, it's that meant they wanted to be in relationship with the Lord. And God looked at what they were doing and when they began to put those animals on the altar and they began to burn and the smell that went up, that was aroma to God. That his people loved him enough to want to atone for their sins. What a difference it made. And they would continue to burn sacrifices, to offer sacrifices continually. Because this is what they needed to keep their relationship with the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 10, some great chapters there. Start reading in about chapter 7 this week and and read through 10. And, And you get a picture of what the new covenant did in taking the blood from those animals and and seeing the difference with Jesus coming. But chapter 10 opens this way. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would have not, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Sin could never truly be taken away by the blood of those animals. And that's why it had to be continual. They had to continually sacrifice to cover their sins so that they could be the people God wanted them to be. And so throughout the law, they had sacrifices for many different reasons. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would atone for the sins of the people. And a lamb would be killed on that day, the Blood would be taken by the high priest into the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go into that place and offer the sacrifice that was needed for the people. They even tied a a rope around his ankle. Because if the sacrifice wasn't acceptable, if the priest had somehow not prepared properly, walking into God's presence would kill him. But then nobody could go in and get him Because nobody else was the high priest, and if they walked in there, they would die too. And so they put the rope around his ankle, so if he did die, they could pull him out. Otherwise, you'd have too many people dead in there. (laughs) But the Day of Atonement, sacrifice for sin, they had a scapegoat. They would lay hands on, confess their sins, and send it out. Then they would have sin offerings throughout the year. Sin offerings that would be given for priests that sinned, given for leaders that sinned, given for the common people that sinned, all kinds of different sacrifices depending on who you were and what you had done. But continual sacrifice of sin. They had burnt offerings just to thank the Lord. And they had continual sacrifice day, day in, day out, year after year, to make them acceptable in God's sight. 
did what it was supposed to do, but it could never really get to the root of the problem, and it could never truly take away sin. Verse 11 in chapter 10, it says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus came. He was the perfect lamb. And when he sacrificed himself, his blood was sufficient to take away our sins. And because it could actually take away our sins, there was no need for him to be sacrificed again. Unlike the animals that had to be sacrificed day and night and constantly, Jesus was a one-time sacrifice. And going to the cross once and shedding his blood once meant that our sins could be taken away. And all those in the Old Testament who sacrificed the animals looked forward to the day that the Messiah would come and their sins would be forgiven and forgotten, not just because of the animal sacrifices, but because of what the sacrifice of Jesus was about. They looked forward to Jesus. We look backward to Jesus knowing that what he did on the cross was the payment for our sins as well. And our sins have been removed, and that sacrifice does not have to be repeated. And now we stand righteous before God, righteous in his sight, not because of anything we've done or how good we are, but because the blood of Jesus Christ has taken away our sins. Verse 19, he goes on to say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The blood of Jesus Christ has taken away our sins so that we can fulfill the call of God upon our lives. We have been changed. We have been given a new attitude. Just as the children of Israel were delivered from their slavery, set free and allowed to go to a new place. That same thing happens for us when the blood of Jesus Christ takes away our sins. We were slaves to sin. No matter how good we might try to be, sin always has a hold on us. But the blood of Jesus Christ releases us from the guilt and power of sin. And we are righteous in God's sight, and now we are set free, just as the slaves of the Old Testament were, we're set free from the slavery of sin. 
And now we are free to be in the presence of God. See, unlike the old covenant where only certain family could even be priests, and then a special family in that group to be high priests, and only one person could enter the presence of God once a year, we now all have access to be in the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And no more do we have to go to a temple that has an altar for sacrifice because now he says with the new covenant, we are the temples. We are the place where the Spirit of God resides. His Holy Spirit is given to us when we are set free from sin and the blood of Jesus Christ takes away our sin. So now he says, whenever two or three are gathered together in his name, wherever we meet together and know that God is in our presence, we can be in fellowship with him. We are in the presence of the Lord. But once you're set free, you don't go backwards. See, once the children of Israel crossed that Red Sea and started towards the promised land, they could never go back to Egypt. Some of them didn't quite get that because they always wanted to go back to Egypt. No matter what God was providing, no matter what was happening, they always were looking backwards. Oh, man, when we were in Egypt, we got a lot better food than this. You know, we got leeks and garlics back there. Here we just have this manna. They started fussing about the manna God was providing. They talked about what they had in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. But somehow when they got out in the wilderness, they thought Egypt was looking better than than it was when they were there. And, And so some of them always wanted to go back. In fact, at one point, a group of them just rebelled against Moses and decided to go back. Even though God told them, no, you're not going back. They're going back anyway. They found out they weren't going back. They died. And in fact, a whole generation ended up dying in the wilderness because they couldn't understand you don't go backwards. But they didn't want to go forwards. They got to the promised land and says, this is it. This is what's promised. We're not going in there. There's giants in that land. There's too much going on. We can't go in there. And so they just died in the wilderness because they wouldn't go forward and they couldn't go backwards. And this is where we are when Jesus Christ takes away our sins. We don't go back to sinful behavior. We are moving forward. And you're just going to get stuck in a wilderness if you don't figure out that you've got to move forward and you're never going backwards. In fact, here in Hebrews, it makes it very clear. Don't even think about going back to sin. Verse 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. 
And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So you don't go back to sin. We have been freed from sin. We have a new attitude towards sin. We left that old nature behind when we were baptized in water. And we have been free to rise to walk in newness of life, a new way of looking at the world, a new way of behaving, a new goal that we're going to. That doesn't mean we become perfect the minute we save. we're saved. We know that we do sin. But he's talking here about the rejection of God's word and this idea that you can sin at will and it doesn't matter. That what God calls sin, you can call anything you want. He says, if you're going to practice sin, if you're going to say God's word does not apply to you, you get a pass on it, then you get judgment. And boy, is judgment going to be harder on you than it ever was for the children of Israel in the wilderness because you had the blood that actually took away sin. You had the relationship with the one who went to the cross. He freed you from sin. He gave you right standing with God. You are now free to be what he created you to be. And you have to change your attitude towards sin. See, I talk to people all the time that seems to think it doesn't matter what kind of sin you get involved with. Oh, well, God will forgive me when I, when I call on him. You think that's true? You don't even know if you're going to have the chance to repent. He could call you home in a minute. But this whole idea that you can despise the word of God and get away with it, that doesn't work. He said, you can't just decide to commit adultery and think that it doesn't apply to you because of the problems you have in your marriage. Don't think that you can live with someone before marriage and think that doesn't matter just because the whole culture says it's okay and, you know, I I don't even read in the Bible that it says you can't do that. Come and see me. I'll show you where it says that. You know, the idea that in business you can cut corners, you don't have to be honest, you can lie, you can cheat. No, we are different. And if you return... To sin, it is as if the children of Israel wanted to return to Egypt. It doesn't work. We have been given the grace of God to move forward. And he says we need to move forward to the call he has placed on our lives to become the people that he wants us to be. Verse 36, it says you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but but by my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. See, he says we need to persevere. We need to run the race that keeps us in the race and gets us to the goal. That's why in the scripture we read before, he says, don't neglect being together. We need each other. 
We're here for each other. We help each other. We encourage each other. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. And we are here to help each other get through the difficult times and hard times because we're running a race. And we need to get to the end and win. We had a funeral this week for Sam Frontier. And boy, it seems like in the last year, we have had a lot of funerals for a generation that is passing. And some very good people that understood they were in a race to win it. And so often at these funerals, we end up quoting uh, what Paul said that, you know, I'm in that race and I have finished it. I have finished the race and now I am receiving that crown of glory that's been promised to me. Because they were faithful. They made it through the issues of life. They were faithful to their family, faithful to their marriage, faithful to their church. Faithful to their calling. And the day came when they would receive that crown. But we see a lot of people that aren't faithful. That fall by the wayside for one reason or another. And we need to be here for each other. To help each other finish the race. Because we're not going back to Egypt. We're not going back to sin. We don't want to spin our wheels in the wilderness and die there. We want what God has for us. And he will provide it for us if we persevere and understand what he wants us to do. That's why on a day-to-day when we have an opportunity to pray in what we call our monthly healing service, we are here to pray with you to help you to persevere. Because we know that sometimes when physical sickness comes, that physical sickness can keep you from staying in the race you get discouraged you get hurt you're you're in pain and it seems like you pray and you call upon the lord but nothing changes nothing happens and the lord is faithful we have the praise reports all the time of those that he is faithful to but you're saying why isn't he faithful to me that's why we're here to pray with you not only believing that god can heal but to let you know we're the family of god and we're going to help you even when you get discouraged and even when it falls apart. Sometimes you have to persevere through a family situation, a marriage problem, problems with kids or other people in the family. That's why you can come and receive prayer. We're here to pray with you and help you to walk through life, to help you persevere and not fall by the wayside because of the issues that happen as we go through life. Sometimes it's hard to persevere if you don't even have a relationship with Christ. And if your sins haven't been forgiven and you don't know his blood takes away your sin, you can come this morning and we would be glad to introduce you to Jesus Christ in prayer. And of course, you can't persevere at all if sin is still part of your lifestyle. That has to be laid down. We have that sacrifice that is one time for all. Our sins have been forgiven. We don't have to offer sacrifice on a daily basis, a yearly basis, one year after another to maintain our relationship with the Lord. We have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We are here because of the grace of God. And as we walk through life, answering the call God has put on our lives, we help each other to get through the difficult times so that we can finish the race. I'm going to ask the elders and ministers if they'll come and take their place at the altar today. And while they're coming, I just want to 
bring some of our prayer needs before you as we'll pray, and then you'll have the opportunity, if you would like prayer this morning, to come down. But we want to remember Ken Mazzola, who will be meeting with his doctor Tuesday to discuss the test results he has taken. Jim Windbigler is having surgery for two hernias this Tuesday as well. Paula, who's 45, has liver failure. She's on life support. She has three boys under the age of 10 that she'll be leaving behind. So we want to pray for that family. And in a great praise report, Dolores uh, Drybelbus has been given a report that says she has no cancer as a return from Cleveland Clinic, and we praise the Lord for that. And you have in your bulletin many others that we are praying for and read about. So let's ask the Lord's blessing as we come this morning. Father, for all these that we have mentioned, those that aren't here today because of sickness. Lord, we know that you are our healer. You are the one who has provided a way for us to come to you. And I just ask that your healing hand will be outstretched to all those that we have mentioned that can't be here this morning. And Lord, may they know that you are in their situation, that you have not forsaken them and left them alone. But may we encourage and help them to persevere through their issues. And Lord, now as we come this morning, we come believing that indeed we have been set free by the blood of the Lamb. And we know that you have provided a way for us to be healed, for relationships to be mended, for problems to be solved. So Lord, as we come in faith this morning, believing that you're our provider, you're our healer, you are the one who has all that we need, we thank you for your sacrifice your one-time sacrifice that made this possible. Bless us now as we come in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you'd like prayer, just step out and come down. The ushers at the ends of the aisles will point you to someone who will be glad to pray with you. And if you're remaining in your seat, let's just worship the Lord as we sing quietly in the background and ask the Lord's blessing on those that are coming. Won't you stand as we bring our service to a close? As we glorify the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't suppose we'll ever truly appreciate what that means, what sin did to God. But in his grace and mercy and love, he made a way for us to be restored. Persevere, keep going. Grab some of those cards out there on the table when you leave and invite somebody. Next weekend, week after, people will come on Easter when they won't come any other time. So this is your opportunity to make a difference. Introduce them to the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. That we don't have to sacrifice daily anymore all of the animals that were required under the law. Because your blood was sufficient. You were a one-time sacrifice. That not only covered our sin, but took it away to be remembered no more. And you have made us righteous through your blood. Lord, we thank you. May we praise your name continually. May we offer thanks to you for your many blessings to us. And keep us now as we go this week. Show us by your Holy Spirit the opportunities you put in front of us 
to indeed make a difference in the lives of people that need to know who you are. And help us as we help each other as well to continue our race, finish it in a pleasing way to you. Thank you for the call that you've put on our lives. Thank you for the blessing that you have given to us. We go in your grace now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you go in his grace today. Wow.